Okay, if you turn to 2 Timothy 1.9, while you're turning there, I'll tell you, tell you a story. A couple of students from the University of Montana playing golf, and just two of them, one of them was married. They got to the first tee, and the lesser of the two players, it was uh, very good. Uh, the good player let him go first, so he teed up his ball, and uh, he began to check the wind. He threw some grass in the air, and he uh, checked the lay of the ball and all the angles, and he walked around, and he messed with the, you know, the pad and all, and finally the other guy said, would you tee off already? And the guy said, well, my wife is watching from the clubhouse, and this needs to be a perfect shot. And the other guy said, you're wasting your time. You'll never hit her from here. (laughs) So um, the New Testament writers defended the gospel from the Old Testament because there was no New Testament. The words of Jesus they had, but all of them defended, including Jesus, defended the gospel from the Old Testament. So tonight we're going to take a look at that. We're going to actually use the story of Adam and Eve as an example of evangelism and how you could use that. As a matter of fact, you can use that story to start off with. Many times I have because it sets it up. In 2 Timothy 1.9, notice that it says about Jesus, verse 8, the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Think about that. God already knows that you're going to have to be saved before he created any man or woman. What does that tell you? It's a stacked deck. He already knows it's not going to work. In fact, why did he give a command to Adam and Eve to not do something wrong when he knows, in fact, man's going to have to be saved? Think of the genius of the grace of God. Another verse talks about Jesus slain from the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? That's the start of the gospel. The gospel started before creation. It's not a New Testament thing. It's all through the Old Testament. Turn to Genesis 3, 1 through 7. While we're getting ready for that, please understand that disciple-making and evangelism are not separated in the Bible the way modern Christians think of it. So when it says, by the way, does anybody in here have memorized Matthew 28, 19, and 20? Anybody got that memorized? Let me see a hand. Not any staff person. How about a student? Okay. Elliot, stand up and belt that thing out with gusto. 
Thank you. You did a good job. If you're not memorizing Scripture, I'm calling you out. Start memorizing Scripture. You ought to know God's Word. Ladies, if a man told you that he was in love with you and never spoke to you or wrote you a letter, I'm already seeing some heads shaking. Ain't going to happen. If you say you love Jesus, you need to know his words. You ought to have them on your heart. They should be memorized. I'm calling you out. So, in Genesis then, we have uh, Genesis uh, 3, 1 through 7, we have the story of Adam and Eve. And I want to say that Adam and Eve uh, demonstrated their lack of faith in God on the very first test. And so when we're thinking about discipling the nations, notice that the verse he quoted didn't say, go disciple all the Christians in the world. It said, go disciple all nations. And most of them do not believe. So the disciple-making process starts with the unbeliever just as well as with the believer. But it really starts with the unbeliever. And so in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, we're going to uh, demonstrate how uh, man got into the fix and where grace begins. So let me uh, put the hand out here that I gave you where I can see it so I can uh, see what you're seeing. I have my notes separately. Notice what the devil said in verses 1, 4, and 5. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? How else could that question have been asked? Why was it asked in a negative form? Because that's what scammers do. They start with an effort to deceive you. This question is asked not for the purpose of gathering information, but for causing doubt in the person of whom the question was asked. And then in verses 4 and 5, the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So to recap the things that the devil said, you will not die, God knows, Your eyes will be open. You will be like God. You will know good and evil. What didn't the devil tell her? He didn't tell her, you'll be filled with shame. You'll lose your relationship with God. And you will die, but not immediately. In fact, the translation here, Mark Amenrud tells me, could be translated, uh, you will not die, die or die dead. The implication is, you won't die immediately. And so he deceived her. Now, she admitted to that later. Notice that the information the devil gave, we're going to, in a second, we're going to look in chapter 2 about what God actually said about the tree. But notice that the information that the devil gave was additional information to the information that God gave Eve and that the information the devil gave is partially true. It's somewhat true and it's somewhat not true. And that's what a scammer does. Gives you something that's true, but it's not all true. We're going to look at the uh, truth of what he actually said here in a second. But it was a scam and she bit on it. 
pun intended. Why did she think the serpent, that the serpent's words were more credible than God's words? I don't know about you, but if I had a snake come up and talk to me, I'd say, dude, this is something wrong with this picture. <laughs> but of course, if you've never talked to anybody else but your husband, and usually husbands don't talk much, maybe that's all the woman, you know, the snake will talk to me. I guess I'll take that. My husband won't talk to me. Probably be up for anything at that point. The other question is, is the additional information that the devil gave her, was that helpful to her to obey God? Of course you know it was not. And that's the way it's been down through the centuries. Consider some of these other things. Other voices giving additional information. Promising to enlighten men and set them free, but in fact it enslaves them. Let's name some. Darwin, Dawkins. Dawkins is one of the most intelligent men on the face of the earth. Eminent biologist at Oxford. Darwin, you know something about that. I'm sure you had to study that in high school, maybe. Sciences and so on. The information that Darwin gives, there are Christians who consider themselves uh, theistic evolutionists. There's no such animal. It's made up. There's no such animal. Darwin gave additional information, and the result is it causes doubt in the creation account in Genesis. If we can get you to doubt the creation account in Genesis, guess what else we can get you to doubt? If Genesis 1 and 2 is not true, how about Genesis 3? Is that true? If Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are not true, how about the rest of Genesis? Is that true? Where do we stop? And who is the arbiter of what is true and what is not? Do you see where that's going? If you say to yourself, nah, I don't believe in the flood. I don't believe in the uh, creation account. I don't believe in things like the feeding of the 5,000. You're headed down a road of no return. You lose because you'll doubt God. There's other things we could name. Sciences, the American gay movement, Hollywood, their beauty scene, education is the answer, political promises, all partial truths. Partial truths and untruths are the tools of temptation. Okay, what had God actually said? So go to chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. I'm sorry, I left out 16. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. How many trees do you suppose were in the Garden of Eden? How many think 10 or fewer? How many think... 1,000 or fewer. How many think maybe a million? There was one hand. How many think maybe a million? How many think 10 million? No, people aren't going to raise your hands. (laughs) Do you think there was as many trees in the Garden of Eden as there is in the Gallatin Valley? How many trees are in the Gallatin Valley? 
Has anybody here ever heard of a count? So, <laughs> but if you took all the trees just up on highlight and said, there's one tree up there you cannot touch. Well, it would take us days to find that tree unless you put a sign on it and a light over it. Well, this tree was marked, so she knew where it was. But there's probably a gazillion trees, you know, give or, give or take a million, available to her. And there's one tree, and so, she, so, the, so the devil seeks that out. Now, think about this for a second. Do you realize that until God gives a command, there's nothing with which to tempt the man or the woman. Before God gives a command, let's suppose that the devil came to Adam and Eve and said, can you eat from all these trees? Yes. Well, how about that tree over there? Yes. And he names off all the trees. Well, he thinks, okay, that's not going to work. So he could start naming other things. He could say, do you realize you're naked? Yes. Well, don't you realize that's, that's shameful? No. What are you telling me? Do you understand how t- difficult it would be to tempt them when there's not been any alternative to the things that God has already said? As soon as the first command comes, the devil says, now we're in business. Now we can go to work. You know, you know how you can tell what people's character is like? Watch how they respond when they don't get what they want. That'll tell you what your character is like. How do you respond when you don't get what you want? That's where this started. For instance, we could ask about this verse uh, that God gave to 16 and 17. What did he mean by you shall surely die? Did he mean you'll die immediately? You'll die in 10 years? You'll die eventually? What did he mean? He didn't say. Does that mean that what he said is is not credible because he didn't tell how long before she'd die? So I like to ask the question, did God give, so I'll ask you this question. I want to see some hands. I want you to raise your hand if. Do you think God gave enough information for Adam and Eve to obey him? Uh, Not everybody's raising their hand. Some of you think maybe not. Do you think... They needed additional information. How many hands do you think they needed additional information in order to obey God? Well, nobody's going to raise their hand because you know where I'm headed. You're not going to embarrass yourself. No, they didn't need additional information to obey God. So the information that the devil gave or anybody else could have given was not needed. And you would say, but we have tons of information in the whole Bible. They didn't have any of that. Did they need that? Did they need all of this in order to obey God? No. They had enough information. And they chose not to do it. Okay, let's look at what Eve saw. She looked at the fruit and and, and, uh, she said that the fruit was pleasant to the eye, good for food, and desirable to make one wise. Three things. How did she know that the fruit was pleasant to the eye? Duh. She's looking at it. So it's up to her. 
She thinks it's pleasant to the eye. How did she know that the food was, how did she know that the fruit was good for food? God didn't say it was good for food. How did she know that the fruit was good for food? She has to guess. If it looks good, it is good. Girls, watch out for those guys who have a six-pack and two bazookas. It looks good, but it might not buy you much. Guys, watch out for Barbie. Actually, the girls are more worried about Barbie than you guys are because girls compare themselves to the Barbies. And then they go home and, you know, it's funny. When guys get up in the morning, guys don't, really don't have any use for a mirror because a guy is going to get up five minutes before class. What good is a mirror? But you girls would use that. And so you're trying to make yourself into some picture. Why? Because that's what, that's what society has sold you. How did she know that the fruit on the tree would make her wise? Is it the same thing to say that if you knew good and evil, you would be wise? Because the devil said, you will know good and evil. He didn't say you'll be wise. She made that conclusion. If you know good but you don't know evil, are you unwise? Let me ask you this question. What's the best way to teach a child not to touch a hot stove? What? Let them touch it. What's the best way to teach a person not to be a homosexual? I didn't hear that. But I'm pretty sure you would not say be a homosexual. Do you see the irrationale of let them touch the hot stove to learn not to touch a hot stove? What's the best way to teach a child not to touch a hot stove? What? Tell them not to and have them obey. That's the best way to learn to obey, is to obey. Seems irrational, doesn't it? But the best way to learn to obey is to obey. And they didn't do it. Later, Eve admitted to being deceived. What would have prevented her from being deceived? Why didn't God say, Eve... It's a scam. Don't listen to it. Why didn't Adam say, woman, don't do that? Why didn't he grab the banana or, you know, whatever it was, out of her hand? Whatever fruit it was. Why didn't he grab it, stop her? In fact, after she ate it, before she gave it to him, why did he say, okay, woman, me and you are done? Because you've just disobeyed God and I'm not going to do it. What does God do at that point if Adam decides to obey and Eve has now disobeyed? What do we do now? Why didn't God intervene? Think about why God didn't intervene. How many times does God have to tell you something before you say, I think I got it, God? How much of the Bible do you need to believe to be a Christian? Can you be a Christian by believing in the little gospel thing that we sometimes put together, but you don't believe the creation account? Can you be a Christian? 
Most Christians will say yes. I'll say no. Because Jesus believes in the creation account. If you say you believe Jesus and you don't believe what Jesus believes, I'll say you're lying. You don't. This is a scam. Do you understand what we're talking about? The wickedness that Andrew talked about? This is a scam. You're being raised in a society that is teaching you half-truths and that that's okay. It's a scam. You can't go down that road. Then it goes on to say in the passage that God put enmity between the devil and the woman. If God had not put enmity in there, you know what? Adam and Eve would be thick as thieves because she just sold her soul to the devil. And she and the devil would be like that. I don't know what sign you guys used. You got some, you know, whatever you... (laughs) Peeps and all like... Okay. So I don't know your signs. But they'd be thick as thieves. But God put enmity between the woman and the devil. If he hadn't done it, it wouldn't be there. Okay, turn with me to Matthew 4, 1 through 11. We're not going to spend much time here, but I want to show you this. Jesus got the same shot at this that Eve did. Now pay attention to what we're, this, the way we're going through this because you can use this to help a non-Christian. I've actually used this with non-Christians. So, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, we're going to look at select verses to save some time. Notice the temptations, which are in 3, what they got down there? 3, 6, and 9. So, in 3 is, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. In 6, if you are the Son of God, why is he saying, if you are the Son of God? Yeah, you know why. In 6, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and he quotes a couple of verses. Devil, no scripture. If you don't, you're in trouble. Uh, And then in verse 9, and he said, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So there's the three temptations. Yes, Jesus could. Turn the stones into bread. He can. And yes, uh, Jesus could jump off the temple, throw himself down. And yes, the devil could have given him all the kingdoms of the world. How did the devil get them? Does anybody know how the devil got all the kingdoms of the world? When in fact God gave man the regency of the earth? How did the devil get them? Eve gave it to him. God gave man the regency of the earth, and man gave it away. And through Jesus Christ, God got it back. Okay, so before we go look at what Jesus did and why he did it, now I want to jump back for a second and review the verses. You're going to have to jump back with me, so my apology for that. Go back to Genesis 3 for a moment, and then we're going to come back here. Go back to Genesis 3, 1 through 7, and we're going to quickly review, because now I want to compare it with what happened to Jesus. 
When the devil said, you will not surely die, notice in verse 8, let me go back there too, Genesis 3, 8. Let me get back to Genesis. Notice in Genesis 3, 8 that they hid themselves. Why do you hide yourself from somebody? What? You're in trouble. The relationship is broken. Men, get used to it. After you get married, you'll either hide yourself or buy flowers. <laughs> Neither one of them works. Apology works. Flowers don't work. Apology. Then the flowers. You still have to buy the flowers. You always have to buy the flowers. The next thing that uh, the devil said is that God knows, and in verse 22 of chapter 3, says, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Yeah, he knows. He knows what's going on. Another thing the devil said is, Your eyes will be open. Notice, chapter, notice verse 7 in chapter 3. The eyes of both of them were open. Yeah, that's true. Not the kind of opening you want, but they're open. And then he also said, you will be like God. Verse 22, the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us. Yeah, that's true. To know good and evil, also in verse 22. Verse 22, like one of us, to know good and evil. Yeah, that's true. But the results are you aren't going to like it. So now I go back to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to compare the same thing here. So in Matthew 4, 4, 7, and 10 is Jesus' response. We're not going to look at each one of them, but notice what Jesus does. Jesus goes with what is written, which is what God said. Now listen, think about this for a second. Hebrews 4.12. Does anybody know Hebrews 4.12 by heart? Go ahead, Elliot. Elliot's our verse meister here. Or no, that young lady knows it. Go ahead. No, you do it. No. If you know it, you go ahead. That's good. Excellent. Thank you very much. Now, your calculus book, not living. Thank God. <laughs> Bible, living. Your history book, not living. Bible, living. Now, think about that. If you can get somebody to sit down and read the Bible with you, it's like stealing candy from children. For instance, if you had somebody sit down with you and pointed a M60 machine gun fully loaded at themselves and pulled the trigger, what would happen? They would fill themselves with about a gazillion bullets in about three seconds. Of course, they'd be dead, but the point is, you would not take a loaded machine gun, point it at yourself, and pull the trigger. But the Bible is more lethal than a loaded machine gun. It has much more power than a loaded machine gun. If you can get unbelievers to read the Bible, the Bible will get them to believe. Get them to read the Bible with you. Here's what we do on campus at Colorado State. We buy pizza. 
and IBC root beers. And we go up and down a hall, above and below and on the hall. And we say, hey, come down to this room. You can have free pizza. All you have to do is bring one question about God. Students will do anything for food. <laughs> so they come, eat pizza, drink root beer, and we have them read the Bible with us. It's amazing. It's just easy. You don't really have to know anything. So we usually go in the book of John, have them read in the book of John. The Word of God is living and active, and Jesus says, I will stick with that. So notice his responses all have to do with what God said. Eve wasn't real sure about what God said, and she looked at the fruit and thought it over. Jesus didn't look at the three things that the devil offered. He didn't stop and look at the stones. Hasn't eaten for 40 days. It doesn't take me 40 days to get hungry. He doesn't stop and look at the stones and think, you know, I could, couldn't I? He doesn't look at the temple and think, you know, that'd be something, wouldn't it, jump off the pinnacle? He doesn't, and, and they're up on this high mountain looking at all the kingdoms of the earth, which aren't that many at that point, but they're amazing. He doesn't, he can, he doesn't keep looking at them and thinking, wow, that'd be something, wouldn't it? In every case, he goes with what the Word of God says. Guys, when you go home tonight and you're tempted to get on your computer and start looking at pornography, it's too late. What should you have done before you got home and got your computer on? You should be looking at the Word of God. Girls, before you get home tonight and look in the mirror and think, how can I make myself look like Barbie so I can get more dates? Too late. You have to be looking at the Word of God before you get to the mirror. I don't recall the name of this guy, but some great preacher got up and preached and he got done, and as he was coming down from the platform, a man rushed up to shake his hand and said, that was a great preach. And he said, too late, too late, the devil already told me. You have to decide beforehand to get into God's Word. Otherwise, it'll be too late. Listen, I deal with guys and girls in this, and by the way, girls are having almost as much trouble with pornography now as guys are. And guys will tell me, I'm struggling with pornography. What they mean is, I go home and turn on my computer and I start looking for it, and then I'm trying to stop. Too late. Does that make sense? It's too late. you got to do something before the computer gets on. And girls, when you walk out of here tonight, that's the time when you've been in Bible study or prayer, that's the time to think about not comparing yourself to other women. Because once you start the comparison, it's too late. You lose. I don't care how pretty you are. You lose. <clears throat> Would somebody... Dis- Probably these two people do. Do either one of you know 1 John 2, 15 and 16? Okay, would somebody look that verse up and read it for us? With gusto. But somebody looked that up and belted out. First John two, fifteen and sixteen.
Thank you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Eve looked at the fruit and saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, desirable, uh, good for food and desirable to make one wise. The lust of the flesh, in this case, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He offered Jesus bread, jump off the temple, and all the kingdoms of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of your non-Christian friends at Montana State are dealing with one of those or all of those three things. If you wonder how you could talk to them about Jesus, pay attention to what they're saying and dealing with and the things that are on their wall. That will give you clues as to the thing they most struggle with. And then starting with that, you can take something like Adam and Eve and Jesus and say, you know, somebody else has already had trouble with this same thing. As a matter of fact, I already have trouble with this same thing. His testimony. What was his testimony about? Which of those three things was his testimony? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What, which of those three was his testimony about? Pride of life. So he sees a guy that's mad about hockey. He's a you know, he's a hockey-playing woman chasing latte-sucking fool. <laughs> and he says, I know, this, I know this song. And he can pull that guy aside and say, hey, let's talk about this. I know some people who've been, had trouble with this same sort of thing, and I've had trouble with this same sort of thing. And as you get involved with people and you see how they've responded to those three temptations, you'll be able to help them. Turn to Genesis 15.6. I left out pot smoking. I'm from Colorado. We're trying to become the cannabis capital of the world. Hockey players, I don't know if you did, but a lot of hockey players did that as well. Had a couple, we got a couple in our ministry down there. Genesis 15.6. Would somebody read it for us real loud? I have a question for you. Does Abraham have any disadvantage to you as a New Testament believer? I want you to know he does not. You will say, well, I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit have to indwell you to control you? He made a donkey talk. I'm not very smart, but I got more going than a donkey has if we're going to be talking. The Holy Spirit does whatever He wants, whenever He wants, to whomever He wants, however He wants. Indwelling us is certainly some advantage. But I want you to know Abraham was not disadvantaged. He was not a second-class Christian. The New Testament shows that Abraham is your template for faith. The gospel is based on what Abraham believed. And it says in Galatians 3 that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Does anybody in here have a, I'm pretty sure Campus Crusade does not, does anybody in here have a gospel presentation and one of your points is that God will bless all the nations of the earth? 
Is that point one or two? Which point is that in your gospel presentation? It isn't there. Don't look. It's also not part of the four spiritual laws. Navigators have a thing called the bridge illustration. It's not in the bridge illustration. The gospel has many facets, and you've been studying this. But I want you to know it's your faith that makes a difference, and that's why you're righteous. In Romans 1.25, we're not going to turn there, but in Romans 1.25, I'm going to skip a little bit of the outline, so you can ask me about it later if you want to talk more about it. But in Romans 1.25, it says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's what Adam and Eve did. They were given the truth of God, and they exchanged it for a lie. All of your friends on campus, that's what they're doing. Can you help them see it? That's where you come in. Because if you don't tell them, they may never know. Because they don't know the revelation of God. You're going to have to tell them. Dude. I don't know if you'd say it that way. You're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Girls, do girls say dude or whatever? They do too? Okay. Dude, you're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Don't do that. Let me show you something else. Does anybody know 2 Corinthians 5.21? Besides those two people. Do either of you know it? Okay, get up and quote it. Good, thank you. Here's what God did. He took, God took your account, He gave it to Jesus. He took Jesus' account, gave it to you. The great exchange. You could do that for your friends on campus. Thank you.